Welcome to the great conversation where ideas matter. Ideas not only shape markets, ideas can change the world. Uh, one of the things we like to do at The Great Conversation is track down people with diverse backgrounds in business and in risk resilience and security. And I, I put those two terms in one line because what we're finding is the care of and the, the care of the safety and the security of your business is your people. And people are the lifeblood of the business. And so what we're finding is more and more leaders are concerned about how they get engaged with their people. And they're finding that you've almost got a Maslow's hierarchy of need. And that is first, they have to feel safe and secure and they have to trust the leadership team uh, and they have to trust your vision and the care of, uh, care of the business. And then they'll become engaged, passionate servant leaders inside your company. And uh, we found somebody who just naturally has been that way uh, his entire career. He started with an industrial organizational degree, uh, which if you've been following The Great Conversation, we've been tracking how I.O., the I.O. profession, is working with the personal resilience of security leaders, uh, especially through WILD, whole individual leadership development team. And, uh, and, all, and then... He pursued the hospitality industry, where he ended up becoming the vice president of corporate safety and security for the Radisson Hotel Group worldwide. And what's so interesting about that is he became iconic because he had a sensitivity to the mission and vision of the organization and the business while fulfilling the role of safety and security. He's done a bunch of things since that time, we're going to find out about his new book. We're going to find out what he's doing with his two new organizations. I want to interest, introduce you to Paul Moxness. Paul, great having you on. Oh, great to be here, Ron. Thanks for inviting me along. Absolutely. Now, Paul and I have intersected a, a number of different ways uh, over the last uh, six months. Uh, one is through Wild that I just uh, uh, talked about. We had Dr. McKenna at the great conversation, uh, the last one we had in the physical one that we had in Palm Beach. And we also have intersected through our good friend, Tim Wenzel in the kindness games, which, uh, which has been a, a fun thing. And you've, you've posted a number of different kindness games remarks. Yeah. I, I signed up for the kindness games. I don't have never met Tim Wenzel early out in the guys that started the kindness games, but for some reason they tagged me in one of their posts last summer and they kept tagging me and I thought it was a really great idea. Um, so I posted a couple of videos in, I guess, September, October last year. Then I kind of dropped out. But then when uh, November came along, uh, along, it was like Remembrance Day here in Canada and the UK and Veterans Day in the US and it was OSAC week and so many things about that month that gave me the feeling of I need to get back into the kindness games and show some gratitude to so many people and organizations that had helped me out along the way. So I restarted my video posting for the kindness games and I, I got up to my 30. So I'm now a kindness games <laughs> alum. Or as Tim would say, I'm in overtime. So he's probably, <laughs> if he listens to this, he'll be on the LinkedIn asking me where's my overtime post. So I'll get well, there, Tim. Well, it's really interesting that we, you know, open up this conversation with kindness because what we're finding, many experts will tell you, when we're in the uh, midst 
of this situation in, in, that we're experiencing individually and corporately through our families and our businesses and our associations. Uh, uh, mental illness is a big thing right now, depression, mental illness, and the, the cure starts with this mindset of thankfulness in the midst of crisis. This, this kindness is really a thankfulness program. Wouldn't you agree? Oh, absolutely. And that's what it's all about. It's not about you doing something to be kind to somebody and get some reward for it, hopefully, or whatever. It's no, it's what it is. It's, it's giving a shout out of gratitude to people that have been kind to you. And, and it does have a real impact uh, personally. I mean, some of the people when I, I was making these little one, two minute videos to shout out to people that had been with me or supported me along the way, either in life or in my career, it was amazing the feeling that you got inside of, of your own life felt like it had more purpose because these people had become, had been kind to you. And so giving back just a little video shout out was also motivating and uplifting. And hopefully it was for people that, that watch the videos. And, and that's why we keep encouraging everyone to take part. Well, I love this word, remember. And I always separate it with a hyphen, remember. And that is when we look at the scaffolding of our lives, and we reflect on it with a thankfulness mindset, we're restoring ourselves and the architecture of who we become through that process. We're remembering. And I, I think there's a real interesting thing when we can tell our story that way. And it does, like you say, you wake up after doing it and you go, oh my gosh, I did matter. Mm, exactly. I did and matter. And, and I, I think that's, a, I've never thought of it like that, but that's a really cool way to, to put that word together. Well, I, uh, so let, let's go back for a second to your career with Radisson. And let's reflect um, because you did achieve recognition inside your company as more than just a security guy, a security leader. And you discovered something in reflection, in remembering a few years after you leave, you've discovered something through that process. And I, I'm gonna say it on a macro level and then we'll apply it to the hospitality industry. Within a crisis, Paul, is opportunity. And you just have to get to the nature of your organization if you're leading it through a crisis to understand the opportunity that every situation represents. Tell me a little bit about your experience and journey in that. Yeah, well, so just to really briefly introduce people to me, I like to say that I'm a person that had a, a four decade, I turned my gap year in Europe into four decades. I, I, I went to Europe a week after I graduated high school to spend a year and ended up staying for four decades. And then I, along the way, uh, I had 30 years at a company that didn't want to hire me. Because when I, 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 wanted, didn't, I wasn't thinking security, but I wanted to work in travel. Um, and the only job that, that I even got an interview for was, was as a night security guard in a, in a hotel. Um, and the security manager looked at me and looked at my CV. And he said, you know, 
you're too old and too educated. I just want a kid that's coming out of his military service, which was which they had in Norway at the time, uh, that's you know young, sober, and can take direction from me. He said, you're just too old and too educated. And by this time, I was getting pretty desperate. And, and so I started to defend myself, not knowing anything about hotels or security, and started to tell him what a great employee I would be. And he just looked at me again. He said, you know, you have way too many opinions. So fast, I didn't have a great feeling when I left, but he phoned me back a couple of weeks later and said there was only two applicants for the job and the other guy had withdrawn. So I was in. And, it, <laughs> and so, so he was kind of stuck with me. But, but what I discovered pretty much the first weekend I worked there, and it was the late 80s, it was a five-star hotel. Norway was actually still in those days, believe it or not, an emerging market economy, it, and it was booming. So they were just starting to realize the profits from their oil industry. Um, and, and it was like, you know, it was a five-star hotel in the emerging market. So everything was full. Uh, it had five or six restaurants, bars, nightclubs, the whole works, um, which you don't see in, in mature market com- countries very, very often today. And so, um, but it just opened my eyes. I, you know, spent six years at university studying psych- mostly psychology and, and organizational psychology, but I was learning way more just watching the world walk by, literally, um, in that hotel. And then, you know, things happen pretty quickly. Uh, luckily for me, another hotel bigger than ours opened up in the city and um and they were willing to pay everyone you know 30 40 50 percent more to to jump ship so the boss went and half the department went and that helped me climb the ladder because i, I didn't leave um and things just happened right and so um i was learning on the job as it, as it was going but i always felt that there was a disconnect between the business and our department. And so when I became security manager, one of the things I did was try to teach the, the, the team that we are hotel employees, first and foremost. Anybody asks you what you do, you work for the hotel. And they, they, if they ask a follow-up, you can tell them you work in security. But that's the number two thing. That's, that's our, we're that cog in the wheel. And, and it was, as I advanced in the company, I said that to everybody, anybody who says, if, if I ask anybody who works in the hotel uh, out on the street, so, you know, Ron, what do you do? If you say you're a salesperson or you're an accountant or you're a receptionist, I, I wouldn't want you in my hotel. I would want you to work for the hotel, not for me, not for sales director or whoever, for the hotel because that's how the hotel becomes good, right? And then the same thing happened up through the company. I was always focused on how can we make this company better? And, you know, our, we had a specific role, but, you know, the, the whole idea always had to be, how do we make the company better? How, and when we got to corporate, how do we make our hotels better? And as I said here in the preamble here, you know, I always told people at corporate, we were the least important part of the business. 
because with no hotels, there is no corporate, but every hotel can survive on its own. So we're not that important. We're, we're completely reliant. We're parasites that live off of the hotels, right? So, uh, and to try to keep that humility uh, and understanding of what role do you play in, you know, which cog are you in the wheel? Well, what I love about that, I wrote this down, Anybody should say, I work for something. Uh, that would be the ideal situation. And what you're really saying is the hotel represents a vision, a mission, a mindset, a value prop that's criti uh, critically important. So when you say, I work for Radisson, it means something. Exactly. Yeah. And, and, and it helps you. It's, that gives you purpose right. more than just doing a job for a paycheck, right? Yeah, You're trying to help something become better. And then back to your original question, I'm sorry, that's just kind of how I work, but I go off on a tangent, but uh, about finding opportunity in a crisis, right? So um, I'm like a typical man, so I'll never ask anybody for directions. So when we ever got, we're out on a road trip and got lost, my wife and daughter would say, oh, oh we should have turned left back there or turned right back there. Well, we didn't and we can't. Right. So if you're going from A to B and you suddenly find yourself at C, you have to look at, OK, but how do we get to B from here, no matter what's happened? And in a crisis, of course, that gets amplified uh, to extreme degrees sometimes where where lives are on the line and and everything. But you still have to keep that mindset of we're going to get to B. We just need we're taking a different route now, but we're still going to aim for that. There is no, you know, you can't turn back time. Even now, I, I, we live in the city that I grew up in. People say, oh, you moved back. No, because it's not the place I left. Everything's different. All the people are different. So it's, you're, we've moved to a new place. We're adjusting. We, I left, I didn't know how to open a business or open a bank account or pay taxes or anything here because I was a kid when I left. So when we come back, it's like coming to a new place, right? And we had that mindset. We're still, we're still moving forward. Um, and it's the same in, you know, when crisis hits, it's so easy to point fingers of blame and say, oh, we shouldn't have done this or we shouldn't have done that or this should have happened or shouldn't have happened. So who cares, right? You can do the analysts afterwards and, and whatever and go back. Once we get, got to point B, I could go back and look at the map. Yeah, I probably should have turned left back there. But we didn't, but we got here. So when you're in the midst of it, you have to be focused on your, what is our direction? How do we save the most lives? How do we get things back up and running? How do we you know, protect whatever we can protect? What do we do with all the people that get impacted by this? How do we do this and still aim for what we've always been aiming for? Now, as you re reflect on, on your background and you apply it, even though you're no longer at the Radisson, but you apply it, your insights and wisdom to the hospitality industry within this crisis we've been in. Um, you, you discovered another thing um, that you're, you are sharing now with your colleagues, your peers and your clients, and we'll get to what you're doing these days. Uh, but it's this idea that hidden within the company's value prop could be the way to survive a pandemic. And for you, 
it was called service. Uh, explain what you meant by that. Well, I think, um, you know, there, there's, there's a lot of catchphrases that jump out when the pandemic hits and, and everybody jumps on board and we're all in this together and we're this and we're that and whatever. But what we also saw was a lot of people retreat into their own shell, be it, uh, you know, close the borders, uh, you know, the, and, and it's typical of security. All the bad things are on the outside, right? And so if we just lock the doors, if we just do this, if we just focus on ourselves, we'll be fine. But it's not like that in a, in a global pandemic. If you look at the vaccines, the vaccines have only become possible because there was huge global collaboration, right? And that's why it went so fast and that's why everything happened so fast. But as soon as they roll out, I mean, we're into vaccine diplomacy and, you know, some countries are going to say it'll be quicker to get a, a, a visa if you use our vaccine, things like that. And it just, it's just so wrong for me, it, it, especially when times are tough. That's when you need to step up your service game. Um, and it, hotels and hospitality have probably been one of the hardest hit industries because of travel bans and, and all this. And it, it's horrific to, to see how many places have shut down, how many people have lost their, their, their jobs and things like that. But at the same time, I think there's been a bit of a missed opportunity as well to, to see um, how can we use these people in, to, to serve the needs we have right now. And actually here in Canada, they did a deal with a couple of the big airlines to staff, take laid off airline staff and staff the vaccine clinics with service personnel. So they have nurses and giving the shots, but the people running the show and registering everybody and guiding you through and all that in a lot of places are airline employees. And we got our vaccine a week or so ago and it was fantastic. The service that we got through the, it was, it, it ran like clockwork, right? And so uh, I think that it, it's so easy to get overwhelmed by the crisis and, uh, and, and look at it as almost futile, whatever I do doesn't count, right? And, you know, I, I'm losing my freedom. I can't do anything, but you can, you can do so much. And there's always, uh, and, and that being able to contribute whatever uh, has huge impact uh, for yourself as well. Uh, it's like a friend of mine uh, who, who used to always say, you know, there might be a shortage of jobs, but there's never a shortage of work. So you can always do something. And I, I always thought that was a really cool uh, way of looking at life, right? So it's a great way of looking at life. Over the last couple years since you left for Addison, you actually have been involved in starting a couple different companies. One is called the Always Care Consulting Company, and the other is North Point International. Tell me a little bit about those two companies and why you started them. Yeah, so the Always Care Consulting Company uh, was started jointly with my wife and I started it when we, when I left Radisson, we moved here. Radisson retained me for a year uh, as a consultant uh, 
to help with the transition and, and things like that. I'd been with them for so long that, that it, there, there was a bit of a, a, a gap, right? And then there was a lot of new management in place there. So that just to help with the transition, they retained me as a, as a consultant. So we set up the Always Care Consulting Company basically as a vehicle to have for that, for that consulting job. But um, uh, since then, it's, it's morphed into a couple of different things. General hospitality consulting, not safety and security focused. Um, we've, uh, my wife has a, a massage business that runs as, as one of the, the arms of the Always Care Consulting Company. Uh, and then our most recent project there is we've written a book called Spin the Bottle Service, Hospitality in the Age of AI. And it's not about AI, it's about hospitality and service because I'm not a tech guy, so I, I don't know too much about that. But what I, what I noticed was when the pandemic hit, every, it sped up digitalization of the hospitality industry immensely. And it was long overdue, uh, the introduction of newer technologies and things. So, But what I noticed was that um, a lot of companies, unfortunately, they looked at it as a way to cut cost, right? So if, if we digitalize, we don't need as many staff members. And they were even using the safety argument by saying, you know, if with our new digital tools, you can book online, you can check in online, you can open your door with your phone, you can review your bill, you can pay your bill, you can check out online. You don't even have to, in the interest of safety, you don't have to interact with our staff members, right? And so <laughs> it's like, really? Uh, it's so interacting with the staff member could be hazardous to your health, right? That was like the message. And, and that, that bothered me. And so we were flipping through some pictures of our travels and we were thinking of all the memorable things we'd seen and done and around the world, but it wasn't like the most iconic places or the upgrade to first class and drinking champagne on the intercontinental flight that was the most memorable. The most memorable things we had were interactions with people in the places we stayed, the restaurants we ate in. So that's what, and, and back to my beginning, uh, the, the hotel I worked at was, was owned by Scandinavian Airlines and their CEO, Jan Carlson, was like a guru who focused on, he wrote a book once called The Moments of Truth, I think it was called. And the moments of truth were when a guest interacted with a, a staff member and every staff member had the opportunity to make that moment memorable for the guest, right? And with the, the increase of digitalization and the decrease of these inter interactions, our thought was that these interactions that remain are gonna become even more important because that's what people remember down the road. So that's kind of what the book's about. It's a collection of stories, personal stories that we've experienced around the world and, and tried to organize them into a way that if you're running a hospitality business or if you're thinking of getting into hospitality, say you're an Airbnb host, but you don't really have a hospitality background, it gives some tips on recognition and you know, feedback and how, to, how you can do these things even in a digitalized world. So that's, that was the focus there. So where does Spin the Bottle come from? So yeah, so Spin the Bottle service, we lived in Brussels for uh, a, a decade, a little over a decade. And uh, 
just after we arrived, uh, we were out having a beer. And in Belgium, they take their beer very seriously, right? And so a uh, waiter comes over, has a little, a simple little brasserie, comes over, there's a little silver tray, two bottles, two glasses, puts a glass down, pours the beer into the, the bottle or into the glass, uh, puts a bottle down, and then he twisted the bottle just ever so slightly so that the label was always facing the customer. And then the, it was a good night probably because we had two or three beers. The second time he came, he comes back with two new glasses, two new bottles and, and things. And I'm like, you know, save the dishwashing, you know, just pour it into the same glass. And he looked at me and he said, oh, okay. <laughs> um, and he poured it into the same glass. And when we had a third beer, as I said, it was probably a pretty good night. Um, when we had the third beer, he comes back, two new glasses, two new bottles. And I said, well, what's with the new glasses? You know, we, we don't need new glasses. And he's like, no, two, two, bo two bottles into the same glass. Okay, but never three. You should always go in, it's, beer should always go into a clean glass. And, but every time he put it down, he'd spin it. And then we noticed that when we were at other brasseries and things there, they would, they would always do this little twist of the bottle so that the, the label was towards you. And that's, so that's where spin the bottle service comes from. Um, it was just that way of caring so much about just pouring a beer into a glass to make the customer feel that this was being done with the utmost of care for their enjoyment. It just kind of stuck with us as something really cool. We had to argue a bit with the publisher to get the title through, but, but uh, they were a little leery about uh, spinning the model really. But well, as one, yeah. of our, one of our guys that we asked, we did a little poll of some people around the world. One guy came back and said, hey, anything that gives association to games teenagers played in basements in the 70s, gotta be good. <laughs> so we went with it. Well, teasers, teasers sometimes are successful because it makes you ask the question, why in the heck did he use that title? Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. You, yeah. You if nothing else, people right. will look at it. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Right. But I love that. And so as we all listen in on this podcast, this whole idea that whether it's an internal customer, that is somebody you serve within your organization, or it's a client or a customer on the outside, or it's a relationship you have, this idea of spinning the bottle uh, and meeting the customer face-to-face -face with your brand of care is so incredible. So we're, we'll make sure that the link to your book is, uh, is in the podcast description. Well, thanks. I appreciate that, Ron. Absolutely. This has been a great conversation with Paul Moxness. And uh, it's been great for so many reasons. But one is hospitality wasn't just an industry he served. It's became, it became who he was. I thank you again for your service, Paul. Thank you, Ron. Appreciate the time. This has been a great conversation.